Thank you again for this opportunity to come before you, to encounter you and your word and all that you have in store for us today. Lord, we ask you that you would open our ears and our hearts to be receptive to the move of your spirit. Let us not push you away, but let us embrace you in your word in its fullness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah chapter 3. One way of looking at this chapter is to think of it in terms of the sheep gate is connected to the wall and the wall is connected to the fish gate. The fish gate is connected to the tower of ovens and the tower of ovens is connected to the wall. The wall is connected to the valley gate. The valley gate is connected to the dung gate. The dung gate is connected to the wall. And the wall is connected to the horse gate. Nehemiah has taken us on quite a journey so far. This journey from hearing that bad news about Jerusalem and its people in Judah to the point that it drove him to mourn and to cry and to weep and to fast and to pray until finally he was able to express himself to the king whom the king gave him leeway to go and do what he needed to do there in Jerusalem. So now that he has made his request, we recall how he just didn't make his request to the king, but he himself, he got involved in the situation. So now, he's here, he has all the resources that he needs, and now it's time to get to work. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1. Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with the brothers, his brothers the priest, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zechariah, the son of Emery, built. The sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, son of Meshurzebel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Baana, repaired. With all those names, with all those gates, with all those doors, with all those walls, it's a wonder 
uh, that they're able to get anything done. But one thing that we see is that Nehemiah, he did not delay other than at the end of chapter 2, take a look, a survey of the land to see what needed to get done. But he did not delay the work. And God tells us, don't delay and start building. Don't delay and start building. You see, one thing that Nehemiah knew, he knew that rebuilding, repairing, and restoring, that that was too great of a ministry, too great of a job for one person to tackle alone. Nehemiah, he knew that he had the hand of the Lord on him. And, but he knew that he would never be able to complete that work alone. Why? Because the task was too immense. In our house currently, as with uh, most houses, there's always ongoing issues. Can you say amen? If you've ever, you ever lived in one, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, certain jobs that you can accomplish, uh, other jobs or you can accomplish on your own, other jobs you know that you need help. Uh, there's jobs that we currently have in our house that I know that I can't do it myself, that I'm going to have to call somebody else to get the work done. But just imagine Nehemiah trying to build up those gates all by his lonesome. The sheep gate, the fish gate, the gates of Yashana, the gates of the valley, the dung gate, the fountain gates, the water gates. Isn't that something? There's something that's called the water gate. The horse gates, the east gate, the muster gate, or the sheep gate. Imagine... Uh, Nehemiah having to do that and build the walls by himself. Uh, because consider uh, that uh, Noah built uh, just the ark, uh, but he had his sons to help him. Nehemiah, he needed the cooperation of a lot more folks than himself. Now, even though he had God on, him, on his side. You see, you can have God on your side, you see, God can have your back, but there are certain things that you simply can't do alone. Oh, I got this. No, you don't have this. You need help getting that accomplished. Our series is about rebuilding the broken. And the broken is defined as any dysfunction of heart, relationship with people, your relationship with God, or uh, your inability to move past uh, some type of emotional difficulty. All that is uh, within the pot of brokenness. This is why it's critical that during this series, that as we had gone from week to week to week, and God knows that he planned it all, that prayer and fasting is so critical for us. Because to help us to 
uh, see God's word, understand God's word, so that we can stand strong on it, and we can uh, take God's word and engage in it and ask God to perform a miracle in our life. We know that Nehemiah, he prayed, did he not? Nehemiah prayed, but didn't Nehemiah get results? And the question is, yes, Nehemiah, he got results. If Nehemiah got results, we should sit up and take notes because we also serve the same God. Did you not know that? Did you know that you serve the same God that Nehemiah served? Because if you didn't, then you need to get rid of me for preaching about the God of Nehemiah. Now, it's not that God will always answer our prayers in the same way he did for Nehemiah. But it's God's word, and since we can rely upon God's word, we can trust him. We can trust God with the results that correspond to the things that he has previously done. So the people that Nehemiah got together, they built and they repaired the walls and the gates. Now in our passage, uh, you will notice that we see people doing all types of jobs in order to get things done. Uh, They were setting doors uh, with their bolts and their bars. Others, they laid beams. They built the walls, they built the gates. Clearly, they were rebuilding uh, that broken wall because uh, the gates and the doors uh, can't stand up there uh, all alone. You see a door or a gate, it needs a wall to hold on to. So they were building the wall, they were building the doors, they were building the gates all to the glory of God. Now this is fascinating. Now you will notice... uh, If you've read Nehemiah chapter 3, and it's uh, kind of extensive here, so we're not going to go every single verse, but one thing that you will notice is that uh, the people that were working, doing the jobs, getting the jobs, getting the ministry accomplished, that it was not in areas that that was their profession. Nehemiah uh, Nehemiah did not go to uh, the, the person that hangs doors and say, I need for you to hang all the doors uh, all the gates here on the wall. Or he did not go uh, to those who uh, knew how to nail properly or those who had masonry work, right? Because most of those people were not around. He went to the average person. Nehemiah went to the everyday person who did other things for a living. Look at verse 7. He went to the goldsmith to help build. Look at verse 8. Those who concocted uh, perfumes, right? right? Or I'll, I'll say those who uh, uh, did uh, essential oils. There's one for you, right? Uh, he went to, in verse 12, to the civic leaders. He went to the priests. He also... Uh, end up going to uh, Best Buy and asking one of the salesmen that was trying to sell a refrigerator to someone else, we need you to come and help and to build the wall and to build the gate. 
But then, uh, in our mindset, mainly because we uh, know the culture of Scripture, and we know uh, what men did and what women didn't do, so we can see uh, a man going to his wife right today and say, Honey, I need for you to help me to build this wall. I've done that before. I've gone to my wife and asked her to help me to build a wall in the house. Or my daughter, uh, one time she helped me to hang uh, a drywall in the garage. There was nothing but studs there. Reluctantly, she went, but she went nevertheless. But here in verse 12, right, it says, Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halashesh, right, if I got that right, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. And then the very end of the verse says, what? He and what? His daughters. So it was men and women were doing the repairing of the wall and the hanging of the gates and the hanging of the doors. All to the glory of God. Now, if you think that this was a posh job, then think again. Uh, together, all these people, they came and they repaired and they rebuilt next to garbage heaps. You said garbage heaps? Yeah. What do you think the dung gate is, right? Uh, take a look at the end of verse 13. The dung gate is the gate where they took out dung. Amen? So some people had to hang that up there. Some of them had to do the building near graveyards. Uh, any place that needed a wall, any place that needed a door, any place that needed a gate, that they uh, all went to work. They knew they had to do the work. They knew they had to unify. Because in doing this, uh, they honored the Lord and they honored God's people all at the same time. Well, do you not know that the church also needs building? The church needs building as well. Here we have been blessed to witness believers of Christ get their hands dirty and do things they would not ordinarily do at our church. Think about it for a moment. Even though some are doing ministries that they never thought in a million years that they would do. In fact, uh, I'm doing a ministry that I never thought I'd do in a million years, and that is preaching. Remember the days when we first started the church, how we had our setup and our breakdown. Remember those days? How even the very, we just couldn't come in all relaxed and come have a seat at our chair. Amen? We knew that if we wanted to sit down during church, we had to do what? Bring our chair into the church. Amen? How we had to set up uh, the entire sound system. How we had to drag the sound system uh, from my home, right? And take it back, right? Uh, but, oh boy, wasn't that great? It was all hands on deck. This was good. This was good for us. But yet, uh, sometimes when there is building go, uh, that goes on, there's people that come into the process. 
Some people come when the building is going on to complain. And some I've seen, they've even dropped by to disrupt the process. Yet we have persevered and we have made it over all of those hurdles. Can you say amen? The interesting thing is that often uh, when those people, when they've come uh, to disrupt the process, they don't realize that they're actually doing it. But I tell you, after being in church for so long, on both sides of the pulpit, I've seen it over and over and over again. Regardless of the church size, whether it's uh, thousands or whether it's just a handful, it doesn't make a difference. There's always those that come into the process to interrupt the process to try to stop the work of God. And then there are some people who came to be a part of the process who got tired. Who could no longer handle the rigors of ministry, at least our type of ministry. But that too is okay. Because God has continued to sustain us. So as we continue to push through, as we continue to push on, we are constantly and will be constantly faced with the challenges that threaten our livelihood every time you step forward. Haven't you heard of, this, uh, of the saying that says, every time you uh, take two steps forward, right? It seems like you're pushed back one step. Every time that you think that I've gotten over this hurdle, here comes the next challenge. See, that can be so discouraging in life. Uh, that can be so demeaning to your emotional well-being that sometimes you just might want to give up. Sometimes you, 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 you just might want to say, this is just too much, I'm sick and tired of it, uh, let's just uh, call the whole thing off. But when that happens, even in the church, we cry out to the Lord, Lord, God, Jesus Christ, build your church and don't allow anything to obstruct it. God, build your church. Jesus says this in Matthew 16, verse 18. Speaking to Peter, he says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Some say that the idea of Peter has to do with a certain lineage of priests or preachers that come down from Rome, but I submit to you, no, this is not what it's talking about. That uh, on the rock in which God builds is not on Peter. The rock on which God builds is Jesus Christ himself. Why? Because the, the gates of, of hell, uh, they are symbolic for the death uh, that Jesus uh, would ultimately go through. And see, when, when Jesus was talking to the Jews, the Jews understood the symbolism there. 
The gates of hell spoke of death. And Jesus was saying, look, they're going to try to kill me. They're going to try to prevail against me. But I'm telling you uh, that nothing, not even death, will prevail against Jesus Christ because the church is the body of Jesus Christ. Nothing will stop Jesus Christ. Nothing will stop Jesus Christ. You see, his adversaries, they thought that if they can get rid of him, you know, one thing that you do when you're fed up with folks, one thing that you figure out that you can manipulate the situation, if I can just get rid of them, then all my problems are solved. If I can just once and for all just make them disappear, then I'm good to go. They thought that if they can get rid of Jesus, because they thought that this Jesus had a Messiah complex, and if they can get rid of that whole teaching, they would be good to go, and their bottom line will be safe. But Jesus says, that not even death, not even the gates of hell will prevail. Not even the gates of hell will stop the ministry of Jesus Christ because Jesus can never be done away with. You see, the destruction of Jesus and the scattering of his disciples only resulted in a greater number of disciples than ever before. How can you kill one thing, so you think, and it end up more than what you thought on the other hand? Then, when you look at church history, you hear stories like that which come from the uh, German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, who arrogantly proclaimed, God is dead. Remember that statement? God is dead, Frederick Nietzsche says. But today we know one thing, we know one truth, that God is not dead, is he? But Frederick Nietzsche, he is dead. So when we consider how we are restored and built up, one idea that seems to resonate with us most is this aspect of deliverance. So we thank the Lord for building us up. We thank the Lord for restoring all things that plague our emotions or our heart. But even in the midst of that restoration, even in the midst of that strength, sometimes life gets rough, doesn't it? Sometimes it's hard when you're trying to uh, pull yourself up by your proverbial bootstraps, right? Uh, that sometimes life uh, just just kicks you, and then it kicks you when you're up, it kicks you when you're down, it kicks you when your eyes are closed, it kicks you when you're asleep, it kicks you when you're walking, it kicks you when you're eating, life that keeps kicking you. And then there are some times that you do, that you must encourage yourself. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. 1 Samuel, chapter 30, verse 6. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul. 
each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened, or translation says, encouraged himself in the Lord his God. When was the last time that you encouraged yourself? Last time that you strengthened yourself so you could move beyond that place of discouragement. And then you moved on and then there was a struggle still. Imagine what would have been uh, Nehemiah's mindset had he faced the task of building the wall alone. Can't you see him giving up even though God says, Nehemiah, uh, you're going to do this. Uh, but imagine if you're all by yourself, you turn around, and there's no one there. Someone gave a definition of, uh, of leadership or a description of leadership, uh, and they said that uh, if you call, basically, if you call yourself a leader, and you turn around and no one else is following you, then basically you're just taking a walk. What did he have? for the rebuilding and the restoring Nehemiah. The one thing that he had was the Lord. He had the Lord on the one hand, and then God obviously blessed him with the fellow saints who saw the need there. So they saw the need, and they joined in together. But are believers today, are we uh, rallying around a literal broken wall in order to rebuild it? No, we're not. Of course not. Disciples of Jesus Christ are rallying around obedience to his word in order to bring the nations under his lordship. Then there are people who are broken and struggling with all types of issues, and we can see this with their dilapidated spirits and their broken down lives. But just like David, many will try again and again to rebuild themselves only to discover that the task is too great uh, for one person alone. Again, I'm not denying that the Lord could deliver you in an instant. Amen. I'm not denying that God can heal you uh, of the issues that you're going through. Because I agree, I've seen deliverance in people. But we must understand the power of the Lord and how the power of the Lord works in us. Because God is able. God is able. Many of you know, or do you know how God works in the world today? Do you know how God builds things up and restores things in, in the world today? You know the answer. The answer is through the church. God restores and builds things up through the church. And it is the people who make up the church. It is the body of Christ, and God designed it that way. So God wants to build this world, and he wants to use the people of God to build it. So if you are not a part of the church for whatever reason, then you are missing out on the fullness of the building that can happen in your soul. The building up of believers is found in the giftings that the Lord has placed in the church. Ephesians chapter 4.
Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And the passage reads, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the statute of the fullness of Christ, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined together, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it does what? Builds itself up in love. Right? It's not just talking about, well, I love you, you love me, we're just one big happy family, blah, 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 right, right? It's not just having a big giant love fest. Uh, what uh, God is telling us is that these giftings that he has placed in the church is utilized to grow the church, to build the church up. What are those giftings? The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, apest. Believers with these giftings should be available for everyone. Everyone to take advantage of whether or not they know uh, that's their office or not. So you may say that, you know what, these folks who are out here calling themselves apostles, I don't have anything to do with them. That's okay. That's okay. But God may have given you a gift mix, and you may not call yourself an apostle, but you're a part of building up the church. Now, the other thing is, well, some people say these are, these are not giftings, these are offices. But nevertheless, uh, the scripture says that these are gifts. They are gifts to the church. But gifting is not limited to what we see in God's Word. But wait a minute now, you mean to tell me that, you know, Scripture says this, that, and the other, there's other things? Well, uh, yeah, we'll talk about that one second. Let's look at Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, I'll let you find the specific reference there. But in Romans chapter 12, there is also other giftings as well. Romans 12. As a matter of fact, let's just go ahead and turn there while we are there. Romans chapter 12, and uh, let's find ourselves uh, beginning here. All right, someone help me out. My eyes are, my son said, I look old today. Okay, here it is. I got it. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Verse 6. Thanks for all your help. Verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith, if service, in our serving, 
to the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, right? So again, it's not saying that those are the only gifts within the church. It's just saying uh, that God is telling these are some gifts. Some others, which can be very clear, could be those who have gifts of, of, of being able to, uh, to sing or play an instrument or, or do sound. Uh, uh, to some degree, uh, those are specific ministries. And they all help the church to be built up, both locally, uh, nationally, and internationally. But now uh, we return to uh, Ephesians 4, uh, so we can focus like a laser beam on uh, what the Lord does through these giftings. Ephesians 4.12 says that the purpose of these God-given gifts is to equip the saints uh, for the work of ministry and for the building up of the body of Christ. Ephesians 4.16 says that when each part works properly, it makes the body grow. So if each part of the body of Christ, if there are some parts that are not working properly, does the body grow? Let's try it again. If there are some parts of the body that is not working, does the body of Christ grow? Well, again, I, I tell you illustration, right? Again, about building muscles, right? There's some people, there's, there, there's a joke that goes around. It says some guys that when they build muscles, right, that they end up really, have really huge biceps, right? They have really big chests, right? They have a really... They have a really thin waist, right? Their back is all cut. Uh, they're cut everywhere. They got a nice neck, their shoulders. I mean, they're uh, they looking bad, right? Have them put on a pair of shorts. And you will notice they have scrawny legs. And you notice that they can't run or they can't push much on their leg because they only focus on building their upper body. You see, what happens within the body of Christ, if only a certain part is working, then only that, yeah, that gets built up. But eventually the church will look weak and operate weak because in its fullness, everyone is not operating within their giftings. So there should be a lot of building up going on in the body of Christ. But often the members of the body of Christ, some, uh, they get stuck on self. And when that happens, the buildings stop and the tearing down begins. When you see buildings going up in a city downtown, you think to yourself, I can't believe they're building more buildings, but somehow they got some things going on. There's some progress going on. In my neighborhood, they're building up uh, buildings here and buildings there. Uh, you know there's a, a sense of excitement going on in the community. Uh, there's progress that's happening. Something must be happening right. On the other hand, when you walk into a community and you see dilapidated buildings, torn down fences, sidewalks in need of repair, when you see the neglect, you realize that there's a problem. Now imagine if you would, you were sitting in your car and noticing the disrepair down the street. But then at a distance, you can see the construction crew just a little bit further, maybe a block away. 
on your block, you know, maybe, maybe your streets are all messed up. I recall this when I was a kid. That sometimes the construction crew would come into the neighborhood. But every time you saw the construction crew, they never did anything. I remember the, the, the times in which our street. You remember those days uh, in the city of Chicago, certain areas, uh, certain areas that they, uh, many of the streets, they were built with bricks. As a matter of fact, where we grew up at, if you take up the asphalt, you'll still see some of the original bricks there. As a matter of fact, where we lived at, we used to have a train that went right down our street. I, I recall seeing a train going down our street. Isn't that fascinating? But sometimes as a kid, I would see the work crew, they would do nothing, and then they would leave at the end of the day later to find out that they would take all the resources to their community and to their home and get the work done there and leave ours in the shambles. Now, if you watch this day after day and week after week and month after month, and they never got out of their trucks or never made a move to build up or repair the community, what would you think? You begin to become cynical. Cynical of the workers. Cynical of the system that takes resources intended for your block and use them on their own homes or in their own neighborhoods. But we also have a phenomenon in the church that some refuse to use their gifts in the church. But on the other hand, they're willing to display their gifts anywhere outside of the church. Then there are those who refuse to accept the resources that the Lord has provided. Do you realize that God has called you to me? Did you realize that? Do you realize that God has called me to you? Did you realize that God has called you to those who are sitting next to you? So now imagine those who followed Nehemiah's leadership. Imagine. Imagine if they had all the tools, had all the people, but everybody came every day to the wall and they just sat down. Remember we saw all types of people that were doing the building, including women, perfume makers, salespeople, priests, and workers of gold. All of them had to place their desired career path uh, to the side for a moment in time to help to build the wall. Now, building the wall was not a quick job, just in case you're wondering. Because with all those folks, uh, it took them 52 days to build that wall. 52. With all those people coming together. How long would it have taken if Nehemiah would have done it by himself? He'd probably still be working on it today. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15. Nehemiah 6, verse 15. So, the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month Elul in 52 days. A little over a, a month and a half. And that's what most people pitching in. Yeah, there were some, there were some who said uh, that, uh, that they're not going to do that. As a matter of fact, Take a look here, Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 5. Nehemiah 3, verse 5. 
And next to them, the Tekoites repaired. But their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. You see that? There's always somebody. There's always somebody. Uh, if everybody says right, the one person will say, you know what, I hear what you're saying, but we're going to go left. Everybody says, let's do this work for the Lord. Everybody says that together. Uh, someone say, no, I can't do that. But it's interesting that the passage says that they would not stoop to serve the Lord. Uh, what that passage says in the original language is that they would not uh, use their shoulder to do the work. In other words, they didn't want to make the effort. We don't know why. But what would you think if everybody had hands on decks and then you had one person who was sitting there and not doing a thing? But in the meantime, the few who were obedient, they did what needed to be done. So the big idea is simply this. Here's the big idea. When the Lord calls and equips, it builds ministry and gives the church purpose and meaning as we build and restore all things for the glory of God. When the Lord calls and equips, it builds ministry and gives the church purpose and meaning as we build and restore all things for the glory of God. And in fact, for His kingdom as well. For Nehemiah, it started with a sadness of heart because he struggled to see God's people and God's land in a shambles. And if we were honest with ourselves, we know that the sadness of heart has not hit some believers yet. Haven't made it yet. Some are not yet tired of seeing God's people and God's mission lack its full Potential. Uh, they enjoy uh, seeing uh, God's people and His church just languish behind. This is why I love this church. This is why I love you, because together we are making a difference in this world. Whether you see the people or whether you don't see the people, this church is making a difference. And for that, we can thank the Lord uh, for His impetus, uh, for placing His Spirit within us and giving us the wherewithal to say, Yes, Lord, I will obey. It's because of you that lives are being changed on the other side of the world. It's because of you that lives are being changed right here in this city. It's because of you. But always remember that building, rebuilding, restoring will not always be glamorous. Sometimes you just have to put on your overalls. Sometimes you have to put on your mess boots. And sometimes you just have to go and slop the hog. That's us, folks. Sometimes we have to go to the dung gates. Sometimes they go to the fish gate. What do you think was going in and out of the fish gate? Live fish, dead fish. 
One thing that you know, it smelled like stinky fish. But they did it. Because the health of God's people, the health of the church, the health of Jerusalem, that it not only depended upon all new things coming in to give life, but you see, if there's going to be healthiness, you have to expel all those things that are no longer useful. So to the dung gate, I say, yes, Lord. Let's get rid of all those things that are ineffective that we can no longer use for your glory. So we thank God that together, uh, that we see how we come together as a church to build one another up, to build God's church up through the leading of His Spirit. We saw here in Nehemiah all the people that have come together regardless of their background for the glory of God. Together, we rebuild the brokenness. Together, we restore. Together, we bring things into reconciliation because of the Spirit that unites us. May God be glorified. And may the flesh be denied. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you. Again, we thank you for your word. We thank you.